Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Mm. Debunking. Debunking. We debunked the mystery of... uh, Your computer. My computer, (laughs) where the lithium battery was expanding. Um... And it's now haunting your new computer. It is. It's doing something, man. We've had some weird stuff. We've started trying to record a few times and something (laughs) keeps happening. I'm telling you, it's the ghost of your lithium battery going, hello, I'm still here. (laughs) It's because Millie needs a friend. It's like, I'll be your friend. Millie needs a friend. Oh, yeah. My friend has a friend for Millie. That's right. We'll see. We'll see if she gets to have a friend. Basically, we're going to rename your apartment. It's going to be the ho- Kim Douth. It's home of haunted dolls and lithium batteries. Home for haunted objects. It's like an orphanage for lost ghost dolls. I'll take in your ghostly items and dolls. Uh, no, that would be cool, though. And, and if, <laughs> Listeners, if you have anything that you think is haunted that you don't want because it creeps you out, I will happily, happily take that off your hands. Send us a message. <laughs> we'll, f- well, there's a will, there's a way. Or we'll figure a, it out. Will, there's a way. Yeah. Speaking of wills and ways, that's a perfect segue into Ooh. our topic today. We have intentional on everything. I know. And so before I even like intro this topic, I'm just going to stamp my allegedly stamp before <laughs> I even talk about anything. It's a good stamp. I like the stamp. Uh, I also am going to preface this by saying this is similar to some of our other cases where we are going to travel again to Romania. (laughs) This is like our favorite place to cover, apparently. We have have done our fair bit of Romania. Romanian? Romanian stories, I guess. (laughs) Yes, we had Vlad. Our friend, everybody, everyone's named Vlad. Although technically that was... Technically that's not Romania. Yeah, that wasn't Romania. But it was the region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all in that region, yeah. But we had uh, Elizabeth. 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 Uh, and generally, you know, there's just some weird shit going on sometimes in, in that neck of the woods. So it, we, we gravitate to it naturally. I appreciate that, like, you're gravitating us towards Romania. And next episode, I'm taking us to New Jersey. <laughs> Woohoo! Really go wild, really, guys. Really go wild there. So there, there you love have a, it. Love a nice little dangle, too. Oh, that's uh, true. Yes, we've just dangled a little about our next episode. It's going to be about the Jersey Shore. It is, actually. It is about the Jersey Shore. Uh, anyway. But that's next episode. <laughs> so we'll pump the brakes on that one. And when we say Jersey Shore, we don't mean the TV show. Uh, <laughs> don't we? Shoot. Do we? Oh, my God. What did I just <laughs> open up Pandora's box? Oh, no. But anywho, let's go back to Romania, shall we? Uh, so this case takes place in Romania. And it's less than 20 years old. It's a quote-unquote newer case. Okay. Um, which So all of our other Romanian Eastern European cases are hundreds of years old. So at least we're taking it up to more recent times. However, due to limited accessibility of trial transcripts, because A, it's in a different language. Sure. B, it has to do with religion, and you know how people feel about their religions. They just don't (laughs) want to share that information. Fair. We do not want it to be on the interwebs. Uh, Anything negative about religion is generally Mm. looked down upon, especially in other cultures. So not necessarily something that's easy to find on the internet. Sure. Right? So lack of... Evidence. 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 
and language barriers that we find when we travel to other countries uh, makes it hard to find information sometimes. Yeah. But we only really have access to what's reported elsewhere or what's reported in that language and translated into English. So mm -hmm. that's what I have access to. And that's what I will bring to you today. So prepare yourself for the hypotheticals, for our favorite conflicting information. <laughs> oh, I do um, love that. And questionable reporting. So mm. when we layer all those things together, it's the perfect storm of what makes Kim Douthit cringe, but also very happy at the same time. So I'm really excited to share this episode. <laughs> so we've covered in the past vampires. We've covered true crime. We've covered ghosts. We've covered... What have we not covered? There's one thing we have absolutely not covered yet besides aliens. That, and we have actually <laughs> technically dabbled into that. Just briefly have, kind of brushed the surface of yeah. that, especially last episode. Dipped our toe into just the alien. Just a little, little test that temperature. Uh -huh. uh, but this is not an alien episode. This is the story of Marisica, Irina, Cornici, and the Tanaku exorcism. Ooh, I am intrigued. We have not talked exorcisms. This no, we really haven't. Something we have not addressed yet. I so think it's, I it's popped up like every so often as a on the outskirts of some things, but we've sure. not we've not done a full topic on an exorcism. We've done a toe dip, but not a full dive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so because this is a more recent topic, we want to be a little tasteful with the way that we approach things. These people that we're talking about are still alive, right. some of them. Yeah. Um, their families are still around. We want to respect them. But this is a very weird case. And it's a case that I only recently heard about. I remember when it happened, I briefly read something about it in an article because this was reported all over, um, internationally, all over, right? So this is in 2005. Mm-hmm. In the heart of an Orthodox convent in Romania's impoverished Northeast, 23-year-old mm -hmm. Marisica Irina Cornici found herself in a literal and figurative dark place. We're going to refer to her as Irina for the rest of this episode, just so we know who we're talking about. This is a quote. She thought the devil was talking to her and told her that she was a sinful person, said Ooh. Dr. Georgi Sylvan Strovici, a psychiatrist who treated her. Quote, it's a symptom of schizophrenia, and she was probably having her first episode, end quote. What's interesting is that this doctor never thought it could have ever been demonic possession. So Irina was treated for disorganized schizophrenia initially in April 2005. And she was admitted into the psychiatric hospital in the northeast city of Vaslui, which, by the way, I'm going to mispronounce all of these names. So <laughs> I apologize now for all the mispronunciations. I'm doing my best for you. Now, if you don't know what disorganized schizophrenia is, it's one of the five subtypes of schizophrenia. It's characterized by erratic emotional expression and generally unpredictable behavior. And in some cases can result in hallucinations and delusions. So it, it's a very all over the place situation. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about mental health here in this episode, 
as well as exorcisms. And we'll get into that toward the end because I already know we're all thinking, hmm, mental health and exorcisms. These sound like two different things that can get confused and blurred. And there's a gray area between the two, which we will absolutely discuss. But first, I want to lay out the story. So Irina was a nun. Mm -hmm. She was given medication at this uh, psychiatric hospital for her disorganized schizophrenia. And they actually identified that she had a form of leukemia at the same time, but it was kind of in the footnotes of her medical records. Mm. So it wasn't anything that was addressed in that moment because she was having a schizophrenic outbreak, outburst. Mm. And so that was priority, right? They're treating that first. So they kept her in for a couple of weeks at this hospital. And on April 20th, she was released to the care of the Holy Trinity Convent in the nearby village of Tanaku. This was an isolated community of about a thousand people in a remote hilly area that had lots of vineyards and corn. It was very <laughs> much just two of my favorite things. <laughs> middle of nowhere, yeah. right? Uh, and uh, allegedly, the people there were very superstitious. Sure. Not super well educated. Um, and from what I read, again, allegedly. So apparently when she was released to this convent, she was supposed to return to the hospital in 10 days. Mm -hmm. So they only gave her enough medication for 10 days. Sure. Because she was supposed to return. Unfortunately, she never did. Mm. The previous treatment only lasted so long. Mm -hmm. Her medication runs out. Right. And this is when the monastery inhabitants reported Irina's erratic behavior starting to pick up again. So one nun said that Irina had, quote, had to be punished after starting a fight with the convent's priest during Sunday Mass. Who hasn't started a fight with the convent's priest during Sunday Mass? Now I know you did, so... Not a single Catholic (laughs) I've ever met. (laughs) So when Irina relapsed, the priest and four nuns tried a different method. Can you guess what that method was? Exercise the demons? Correct. You get a gold star. (laughs) Kim gets the gold star of exorcism. Eh. So a police spokeswoman said they all said that she was possessed and they were trying to cast out the evil spirits, end quote. So in June 2005, Irina was bound to a cross, gagged with a towel, and left in a dark room at the convent for three days with no food, Mm. no water. And she unfortunately died of asphyxiation and dehydration, or so they say. Now, other sources say that she actually died, and I just have to give this dangle of information. I'll come back to it in a bit. Got to give context. But other sources say that she actually died in the care of the ambulance and not at the convent. And that the ambulance gave her six shots of adrenaline to resuscitate her. On Jeez. June 17th, 2005, and that that is what killed her. Now, hmm. this makes me question. This case is so recent. It seems really odd to have conflicting information, like how someone died, when you have people with scientific facts. Sure. 
what, what, where is the confusion there, right? So, well, but also, I mean, again, you have to consider the the source of the country. Like we ran true. into this with Gustav. Where, yeah. where I mean, there, there's was probably a little bit more civil unrest there, but um, you know, the the any place that's had some upheaval, <laughs> which it did, which it did slash does, does. <laughs> um, yep. reporting of things gets gets muddled, and and particularly again when when we're not looking at, at we are not native speakers, obviously the language, sure. so, but. That could be an excuse, but there could also be something else. So just keep an open mind is what I will say here. Sure. As we know, misinformation breeds rumors. Of course. And things that seem less believable become more and more possible the more the rumors swirl around. Mm -hmm. So hold on to that thought. We'll come back to that. Okay. Let me introduce brother Daniel Petru Caragiano, a 29-year-old red-bearded monk who served as the convent's priest. He allegedly led the exorcism and told the media he was trying to take the devils out of the nun. Of course, duh, naturally, right? Totally. So he said that she had to be restrained, had to be restrained because she was violent and that she refused to drink the holy water. Quote, she was sick and possessed. We said several masses to end the spell. From a spiritual point of view, he did exactly the right thing, said Brother Daniel. Quote, God had performed a miracle for her. Finally, Irina is delivered from evil, he said at, their, at her funeral. Hmm. It was God's will that she died. I don't understand why journalists are making such a fuss about this. Exorcism is a common practice in the heart of the Romanian Orthodox Church, and my methods are not at all unknown to other priests, end quote. Now, he wasn't totally wrong, mm-hmm. as he had actually been the main go-to priest in that area for all exorcisms, anything spiritual, what have you. He was someone that was looked up to in the area. He had done countless successful exorcisms up until that point. Mm -hmm. He actually helped relieve spells that were even placed on people that they thought were placed on them to like make someone sick. He tried to help make them better. Uh, And it just kind of tells you the mentality of his followers and how religious people were in the area and what belief systems they would go by. Um, it's very much belief as opposed to science, right? So, I mean, one could make the argument that religion in general, and that's this is not meant as a, a slide on religion, but it is no. belief over science. For sure. Um, for, for, I mean, part of the faith of what you're believing in. And that's the gray area, yeah. right? Yeah, of that's, course. That's yeah. the gray area. Now, now with this situation, it was a very serious matter. A young woman was dead at the hands of the Orthodox Church. Yeah, that's, that's look good. <laughs> bad news bears. Um, now, four days after her death, Irina's funeral was held at the Tanaku Church. She was laid out in an annex. She wasn't allowed to be in the main church because apparently she still could have been possessed and they would not let her in the church even after she was dead. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that's kind of crazy. That's just me. Crazy is a bad word. I think that's wild. (laughs) Uh, The case got a lot of attention, um, and it stunned this impoverished nation. It's already been through so much. You even mentioned has been, currently is going through a lot. Now, youths, the youths, the young people of this uh, rural area, 
a lot of them were raised in orphanages, like Irina. She mm. was raised in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. And they all generally would flock to Orthodox monasteries and convents for food, shelter, help, and or for spiritual help, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it was considered a safe haven to them, or so they thought. Irina thought this. She, at one point, needed a safe haven. She actually grew up as an orphan in a children's home in the western city of Arad. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, after her father's suicide, social services collected her and her brother from her violently alcoholic mother and entered her into the overcrowded orphanage that she ended up growing up in. She had a really tough childhood. It was filled with poverty, physical and sexual abuse, and a variety of foster homes. And as she grew to adulthood, she found herself attracted to women. And in the religious world, that is considered a sin, right, for Mm -hmm. all of these super orthodox people. She ended up forming a relationship with a woman that she nicknamed Kitsa, Mm-hmm. But, of course, they had to remain secretive because the religious world that they lived in. Now, Kitsa ended up at the Tanaku convent as a place for shelter, safe haven, quote unquote, and found a home there as a nun. And when Irina visited her there, Kitsa convinced Irina to also become a nun, to join her and get the shelter she needed there because her, her family wasn't really supportive. They stole money from her. They took in another child while she was gone. It was just bad news bears. So, but I mean, this also was a terrible idea to right. stay at the uh, monastery, obviously, as we know. So again, they needed their own safe haven, trusted that the church would provide for them. And it's not weird that they trusted that that would provide for them because allegedly the Orthodox Church is Romania's most trusted institution. Mm-hmm. And Orthodox monasteries and convents have flourished in Romania since... 1989, uh, when the fall of Nikolai Ceausescu, uh, he had a brutal communist regime there, and it fell. He actually suppressed religion. After years of enforced atheism and persecution of Christians, people were finally free to practice religion again after the fall of Ceausescu. And this ended up leading to blind loyalty to those who religiously led them, like Brother Daniel, a la Puritan-level religion. So, like, the most serious type possible. So you go from, like, nothing to, like, the most. Right. And that's basically how it went. So now, take that and add that to the size of the Romanian Orthodox Church. It was one of the Eastern Orthodox churches, right? Mm-hmm had about 20 million Romanian members. 20 million. That made it the second uh, Orthodox church in size compared to the Russian Orthodox church, which took the cake. So that's yeah. just, it's huge. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So the Tanaku convent was built in 2001 uh, by a private donor, had not yet been sanctified by the church. That seems interesting. Kind of seems shady, right? Why isn't it sanctified? So then Brother Daniel Caragiano comes in and founded the church as it's not even sanctified yet. Just to give you some context. So already from day one, it sounds a little shady. So just had to give some context. Let's fast forward to post Irina's death. So after her death was reported, the media blew up. 
This botched exorcism gained international attention, as I had mentioned before. So what ends up happening? Caragiano and the four nuns involved with the process were charged with aggravated murder in Cornici's death after testifying for 11 hours to prosecutors. And they potentially, at that point, could have faced up to 25 years in prison for this exorcism. Now, Caragiano said that he and the nuns were innocent, fully blamed the media just as pressure for their arrests because Mm -hmm. it blew up, so somebody has to be to blame, so they're going to blame them, right? He even claimed that Irina had left their care alive, that the ambulance that they had called was going to the hospital, not the morgue, and that Irina actually died in the care of the ambulance. Mm. So hold on to that thought. Mm. When asked whether the nun was mentally ill and in need of a medical and in need of medical help instead of an exorcism, he told a TV station, quote, you can't take the devil out of people with pills, end quote. Yeah. So it gets worse. The church's senior cleric in Bucharest was questioned to ask, What's, what are your thoughts on this? He declined to condemn the killing. He said, quote, I don't know what this young woman did. End quote. I am sorry. She had to do something to merit a murder. No. Is that what I, 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 I think I didn't necessarily read into the quote the same, but I didn't without out of context, possibly. It just, he's just saying they were asking him to condemn the killing to say your people did something wrong and Uh, he refused to. Right. And he, his defense is, well, I don't know what she did. Maybe she deserved it, basically. Like, that was what he was saying. Ah, okay. Which seems kind of messed up that that's, yeah. like, yeah. the stance that was taken. Other people said that the prosecutors were swayed by the public pressure and went a little too far by charging the suspects with aggravated murder and that they should have charged them with manslaughter. It would have been more appropriate because, quote, Aggravated murder implies intention in committing the crime with intention of sadism. Uh, a lawyer and member of the Romania's a lawyer and member of Romania's parliament said, but they believed that they were helping the woman and that they were curing her from her pains. Therefore, it was not sadistic murder. It was them trying to help her and her dying in the process. Therefore, manslaughter should be the, the charge, not murder. That was their opinions. Now, let's go to a medical examiner, shall we? I know we've been waiting for this moment. Was there an autopsy? How did she actually die, right? So there was one. A medical examiner uh, said that the nun died due to dehydration, exhaustion, and lack of oxygen. No mention of six shots of adrenaline. Mm. Which that seems would, odd. Which is, which is something you would think would show up in an autopsy, too. Right. So I just think it's interesting that that's left out, if that mm-hmm. was something that happened. Because mm-hmm. that would seem like a very obvious thing to note, right? Right. So apparently an hour from the convent was Cornici's native uh, village. I'm mm-hmm. going to mispronounce this name. Pirieni was the name of her village. Everybody there was pissed. Everyone wanted justice for her. Her distant relatives, cousin, uncle, were just upset uh, 
they knew that she joined the convent just a few days before she admitted the hospital. And this was a quote from her aunt, uh, Anisora Antohi. She was disfigured. She had marks on her hands, her ankles, and her stomach. And that her grave was marked with a simple wooden cross with the words Sister Irina scribbled on it. She was a good girl. It was too cruel, God, much too cruel, her great uncle, Georgie Antohi, 53, said as he burst into tears. It's very sad. He also had a statement where he said that those who allegedly killed her, quote, should all be crucified like her, end quote. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. You're upset. Your family member was killed or died. You don't know, right? Now, other people, there was this one guy. His name was Iowan Hristi. I probably fully mispronounced his name. Uh, he was a 52-year-old former welder who had epilepsy and actually was hospitalized with Irina when she was in the hospital. And he said, I'm scared that if I went to the monastery, they would crucify me too. Mm. So it's this weird vibe of like fear and uncertainty and like what actually happened. So then the Orthodox church is questioned. They go higher than that one dude who was a jerk. <laughs> and the Orthodox church strongly condemns the exorcism ritual, mm-hmm. calls it abominable. It then bans Karajianu from the priesthood, disrobes him. He's like, you're done. Done for him. Nuns are also done by they're taken out of the Orthodox church at that point. Ultimately, Father Caragiano and the four nuns who helped him were charged with murder and depraving a person of liberty, which I think is an appropriate charge, especially the depriving a person of liberty if you're keeping them locked up. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, This trial was intense. There were protesters outside. There were people on both sides of of the argument. Some of the protesters (laughs) yelled into the courtroom calling Caragiano, quote, Satan in a priest's robe, quote. But Caragiano, conversely, also had many supporters who showed up for him uh, Mm -hmm. in the courtroom every single day of his trial. A lot of them claimed to have been saved by him in their own exorcisms and that he was well-intentioned. He had a good reputation with that town, and so they wanted to come out and support him. The defense claimed that Caragiano did his best to help a deeply disturbed individual and that it was the ambulance workers who caused Irina's death. Allegedly, here's my big old allegedly stamp. Allegedly, Caragiano claimed that he had called an ambulance in the days leading up to her death, but nobody ever came. Mm. Now, when they looked up, this is something that you can look up, guys. Like, you can look (laughs) up if there was a phone call to an ambulance. There was nothing that could prove this at all, that he made any kind of call to an ambulance Mm. that I could find, allegedly. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) That's my finger, allegedly. Uh, Now, Caragiano also spoke in his own defense. He said that he was convinced that Irina would still be alive if he hadn't called the ambulance the day that she died. So I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. First, you're going to say, I tried. I called the ambulance a bunch of times. Look at all these times I called the ambulance. They didn't come. It's their fault. And then they show up. Now they show up. Now it's still their fault. (laughs) Like, it's just, 
come on. It just sounds, it sounds kind of funny, right? Like if you just hear that, it sounds mm, yeah, a, little it's iffy. A, a little iffy. So the nation's opinion is split. Like I mentioned, some thought that Caragiano and the nuns were innocent. Some thought that they were trying to help Irina. Some people were like, give him the full murder charge. Do it. Uh, and, and some people thought it should be manslaughter. It was kind of all over the place. So prosecutors ended up seeking a life sentence for Caragiano. He ended up being sentenced in 2007 for, to 14 years in prison. Hmm. Now the nuns, Nicoletta Arcalianu, Adina Sepraga, Elena Otel, and Simona Bardanas were all sentenced to between five and eight years of prison. All of them are also taken out of the church. Right. A lot of the people who were present in the courtroom that were supporting Father Caragiano were pissed, distraught, screaming, having a tough time in that courtroom when this was announced. Mm -hmm. The Court of Appeals reduced his sentence to seven years. And Caragiano was freed on parole in November 2011 after serving two-thirds of his punishment. Mm. Now, after serving two-thirds of his punishment... What does he then go do? His Another church is, exorcism? His church is closed. They closed everything down for him. They disrobed him. He opens up a new male-only monastery, <laughs> which I think is... Well, I mean, they're, they typically are monasteries. But they have nuns. Nunneries. They're different. That's true. Nun- but there were- nuns... No, and Catholic, I mean, again, I, I, I grew up Catholic and there are some differences, I think, between uh, the, the, the Romanian Orthodox, I'm sure. It's, yeah, everything has its own. But the, yeah, generally the nuns do their own thing in their nunneries and <laughs> the monks have the monasteries and they might, if they serve a parish, then that's where you'll see the interaction. Yeah. But typically a monastery would just be, again, yeah. And I think what's interesting here is that especially because this was so remote and just like middle of nowhere, I think they just kind of functioned however they functioned. I don't think it was like by certain rules, which is also why things were kind of shady Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, when Caragiano had his monastery with the nuns. Um, But so at this point, he gets released from... And he didn't have a monastery. He ran a parish, didn't he? Uh, Unless I misunderstood that. It was a convent. Oh, he ran a convent? Mm Mm-hmm. That's odd. Or he was the priest in the convent. He put it together and ran it, and he was the main guy. Was it... Did he run a church? It wasn't a church. It was a monastery slash convent. It was like... interesting. Yeah. From what I I could gather. There might be... uh, (laughs) It could be very different. One, again, I'm I'm looking at it from a Catholic standpoint, like from a, you know, casual Catholic standpoint, too. So uh, the Orthodox, there might be some some distinctions there that are are different, but that already is kind of weird. Yeah, it's a very weird situation. You're not wrong about that. So now rumors continue to swirl. They don't stop. We know how they work. Apparently, there's now rumors going on about how bad Irina's torture actually was. Some thought that Caragiano and the nuns had actually taped Irina's mouth shut Mm. to, quote, keep the devils in. Mm -hmm. And Irina's own brother even thought that she was possessed by the devil. And he came out saying that, which was not great. Um, And then the conspiracy theorists show up because they have to have 
their voice and say their piece. Sure. And their theory was that Irina was set up to be killed in the hospital. That, quote, someone or the infamous they, whoever they are, were blackmailing the Orthodox Church. Mm. So naturally, the Orthodox Church distances themselves from the case as they do, condemning Caragiano, which is also why we can't find a ton of information on this other than what I have here. Sure. Uh, disproving of his type of non-approved uh, exorcisms, because apparently what he was doing actually wasn't approved by the Orthodox Church, and he was kind of doing his own thing. Uh, and that's why they ended up closing the church permanently. So Cornici's death and the revelation that Caragiano was ordained as a priest without having finished his theological studies uh, have prompted the church to impose stricter rules for yeah. entering monasteries, which that's great. I'm really glad that like something good happened from this. Like there's more rules now for this to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. And what's also being included in rules for entering monasteries is psychological tests, mm -hmm. which is great. But wait, it gets weirder. Now, here's a lot of information that is up to interpretation. And I will just say this now. <laughs> By all means, use your own opinions. We are not saying this is fact. This is just information I found. Take it with a grain of salt. We will see what Kim thinks. Mm -hmm. In 2014, for reasons not mentioned, Irina's body was exhumed and tested for cause of death. Hmm. The coroner, Dan Georgiou, concluded that the cause of death was due to an overdose of six shots of adrenaline given in the ambulance. Hmm. If this was the case, why was it not mentioned in the autopsy? Again, that seems weird, right? Why? And do we know for sure it wasn't mentioned in the original autopsy report? From what I could find, right, right, it right, was right. not mentioned. So okay. that's what my interpretation is. Is I, I think there, there were a lot of articles I did find on this, mm -hmm. and not one of them mentioned Mention. this. Not one. And I mean, it could be human error. It could be. But I don't know how something that's that big could be well, a human error. Uh, be, I mean, depending on how, th I, like, again, without knowing more details. Details. details and if the, if if this is something that there are more details on that you found you know please by all means interrupt me um but depending on like you were talking about this is a small town and more rural area well the cities were not ruled why well, is who conducted was it somebody who had i mean because even now there's problems with people who don't fully have the proper training conducting autopsies or doing things they shouldn't necessarily be point. doing. So is yeah. it possible that the person, whoever did it um, or didn't do a thorough enough job or they didn't test for some of what they should have tested for? Of course that's possible. I think that there, anything is possible with the situation, which is sure. why it's kind of one of those like up to your own discretion, decide what you want. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, yes, we don't have those details because again, Romania, like right. we don't, right. we can't, we don't have access to that. But I will say this, that there's an article published where they did talk about the six Shots of adrenaline, which is how mm -hmm. I found this information. And in this article, uh, they go into depth about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, they ended up contacting the paramedics that picked her up to be like, oh, wow. yo, did you give her six shots of adrenaline? 
Sure. Uh, they found the actual paramedic, the woman who picked her up. Mm-hmm. And she denied giving her that sure. amount of adrenaline. Sure. And doctors from the National Institute of Forensic Medicine were asked to examine the evidence. Evidence. And they supported the paramedic's acceptable practice. They said what she did was right. She did what she was supposed to do, how she was trained to handle a situation. She did what she was supposed to do. Well, and, and how many years after the fact was this new, was the body exhumed? Almost a decade after. Yeah, I mean, that's, you're also asking a lot of a person to remember details for something that even if, if she testified in the trial. Uh-huh. A decade later, eh, that's, you know. There's a lot of gray areas in this case, which I think is what makes it so interesting. Because it's like, well, why wasn't this mentioned? Well, Kim's Scully's going to Scully, man. Like, that's why I was excited to tell you about this. I was like, yes, let's do this. Um, But the fact that they got doctors from the National Institute of Forensic Medicine to back her up, that's pretty serious. So the coroner obviously has an opinion. Sure. And he says, quote, I was part of the team who handled the exhumation of the nun's body. Mm-hmm. It was concluded that the woman died of an overdose of adrenaline. Don't ask me. I don't know why the judges did not take that into account. End quote. Hmm. So t- to me. Right. That tells me that this coroner who is based in Romania knows about the trial has all the information about it. Sure. And did not have that mentioned at all in the trial. That's the proof that says it wasn't mentioned. Well, I don't... It's hard, because I I think that is evidence to support it was maybe not mentioned. I personally wouldn't go as far to say it's proof, um, because without him saying something more specific than that. But I, I think it could support... The theory that it was that it there that it wasn't mentioned in the trial. Um, I mean, it's again a, a, as you were saying, it's so hard when you're getting things filtered through. And we've, I mean, this isn't a this isn't a problem that that is uh, solely in a, a foreign country. Right? We have problems like this in here. our justice system here, yeah. where trial or cases from not that long ago, and you're like, how did this not? How how did this get? overlooked how did this how was this allowed to go through like Mm -hmm. um so it's it's i think there's a real there's a lot of ways you could point the finger for sure at other people and be like it was your fault you did this no it was your fault you did this and if i was the paramedic as well i you know maybe you don't fully remember or also maybe you're trying to save your own ass that's true and then also i was thinking about this too like at what point is it someone's fault? Like if you are the one who put someone in this situation that got her that dehydrated, that asphyxiated her, and then right. she's alive and you put her in an ambulance, all of a sudden you're not attached to her doesn't mean that you're not at fault for doing uh, what you did to her. Exactly. Like she would never have. And it uh, again, like when when you're looking at someone who is is taking extreme effort to save somebody's life, someone who's already in extreme medical distress. It's, it's to me, it's up there with, uh, a Samaritan performing CPR and breaking someone's ribs. Like you're, you're trying to save someone's life and, and 
that sometimes means you you do things or or something works or doesn't work. If if I guess I also wonder, okay, take the adrenaline, push it to the side. Like let's say that that was ultimately what caused her to die. Like finally, without any treatment, she from the sounds of things, she was in medical distress. Would yeah. she have died anyway? And this just was something that triggered ultimately. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it's both. It's not just yeah. one thing. Like, if she no. just had adrenaline, it probably wouldn't have killed her and had nothing other, no other problems. If yeah. she just had the other problems and no adrenaline, she also probably would have died. Like, right. she wasn't in a good place either way. She wasn't in a good place. And so, regardless, moral of the story, she did pass away. It yeah. was a terrible situation. It's a tragedy no matter how you look. No matter what happened, this is a tragedy. Exactly. And you could point your finger in whatever direction you want to point your finger. I just think it's interesting the way they rolled out the information. It just seems weird. And then there's more weird stuff. Oh. So the more weird stuff I recently found, I actually, um, I would love to credit a podcast for this. And I think that they did a really great job researching. Um, so I just want want to give credit where it is due. It's called Evidence Locker Podcast. They're from <laughs> Australia. Evidence. Evidence Locker. Um, I had to say it in the whole whisper. Um, but they did some really great research on this, and I, I attribute some of the details to that, with to their, their transcript. So um, just FYI, that's where I got some of this information. So to be fair, I don't know how legitimate this is. It could be a stretch, but again, our allegedly stamp is all over this episode already. So... <laughs> This is just for funsies. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow all of the people involved in Caragiano's prosecution ended up mysteriously dying. <gasps> is it a Jake Bird level hex? Kinda. It's right after the case concluded. Now here's where I get upset. <laughs> I don't know how they died. It didn't give me any information on like what date did they die? What um, caused them to die? I don't know. How old know. they were before they died? <laughs> None of that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking, again, looking at Jake Bird, like, it was a weird situation, but half the guys that died were, like, already in their 60s, 70s. I mean, like, you know, right. not they spring chickens. Exactly. I was going to say spring chickens. We're in each other's heads. Perfect. Um, but it was the prosecutor, it was the judge, and it was the person who handed down the sentence to Caragiano. All three of those people mysteriously died right after the case concluded. Well, and what's the time definition of right after? Like <laughs> a week, this. <laughs> a year, TBD, uh, five years. I, I don't have that information. I just mm. think it's fun to know that they all died right after the case. No, no. But like my definition of right after and their definition might be different things. That's true. And we don't know how they died. So that's our uh, disclaimer is that you decide. <laughs> Kim is going to decide that they were old. And all were probably having health problems no. and probably died about like five years apart from each other. But someone read it and said, I'm going to put uh, it all right after the case. I mean, again, I I am happy to accept a supernatural reason all of them died after the case. I just like to be able to support. With facts. With evidence. Evidence. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to be you. able to support when I make a statement like that because then I feel like I become a more credible human. You are the most credible human, Kim. I don't think <laughs> anyone ever questions that. <laughs> okay, but here's where we, we throw in the, the funsies is that you know how we talked about all those superstitious folks in Romania? Sure. 
They claim, so they say, they, that Caragiano put a spell or a curse on these people. I put a spell on you, and now you're mine. Like that? Yes. Exactly. It's the like Jake that. Bird Hex man. Jake Bird Hex! Full circle. Lives on. Full circle. Full circle. So ultimately, there were a few messed up things going on in this case. <laughs> Handful. Pick your poison. Um, clearly, some shady shit abounds. And one thing that I think we can kind of boil it back to is the state of mental health, science, and exorcisms. And I think if we could go back in time and maybe educate the people who were in that convent if they had taken her back to the hospital after those 10 days so she could get the proper treatment that they had started for her. Clearly, they were on the right path when they were doing that. Then this none of this might have even happened. So, like, it's just a matter of giving that education where it's needed and making, you know, people know this, it might not just be an exorcism. This person might have some serious mental health issues, right? So it, it, you never know. Again, gray area. So mm-hmm. exorcisms to some can be considered dated. Um, you know who got an exorcism near the end of her life? Who? With a little touch up. Uh, Mother Teresa. She had a little touch up. A little, little help her sleep at night exorcism. Oh. Uh, she was having trouble sleeping. They did a little, like, minor exorcism on her. <laughs> That's a very fun fact. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, an education about exorcisms, maybe used in the right way, could be helpful. Uh, there is a good documentary, too. Uh, the Devil and um, Father Amort, I think is, if I'm remembering. I, I, it's been a couple years since I've seen it. but it, it Oh, I've seen it. I know exactly which one you're talking about. You know about. what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's um, the, the man who made it, um, William uh, uh, Friedkin, 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 I don't know if I'm saying his name <laughs> correctly, um, but he made uh, The Exorcist. Aha. Mm, look at that. And so he made, he made this film following um, uh, the, 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 the priest, the father, uh, and one of the things that I remember was a woman who, um, and again, it's been a few years, so forgive me if the details are a little off, but the, the woman who was coming to him for another exorcism and she'd had like five or six exorcisms oh my gosh. by him already. But, it, but that it, it, again, I was looking at this and I'm like, this is a woman who felt better after this priest performed a quote unquote exorcism on her. Mm-hmm. So is it that... Is she really possessed or is this, I don't want to say a placebo effect, but you know. But it could be. I think there's so many options. I think that it's never one thing. I think that's the one thing to take away from this is it's never one thing. It could be multiple different things, multiple different factors. And if someone, like in her case, I'm like, if she's not harmed by it and she feels better. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Now, you could make the argument as well that like getting her professional potentially mental health support might be a better option, but particularly in a community that might be very religious and not have access to certain things. It's, it's just, I think when with uh, looking at, at your case, looking at the case you're, you're, you're presenting us today, I mean, again, it can get taken in a, a way that goes way too far and becomes abuse and becomes tragic. Yeah. 
Uh, so which it obviously, did. which it did. Yeah. Um, and that's not the only case that's like that, which is really no. sad. And yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this because uh, on top of that, I think there has been, which is great, as we mentioned earlier, that once, uh, even though it t- sometimes takes a terrible thing to happen to have some kind of change implemented mm-hmm. to help yeah. people in the future that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but apparently the Catholic church hadn't updated its information or definitions of demonic possession <laughs> versus physical or like psychological illness. Like the yeah. difference between the two yeah. had not been updated since 1614. Yeah. They updated it in 1999. Catholic, Catholic, uh, Catholicism and again I say this as as a having been raised Catholic um updating things it doesn't happen very very frequently it takes a while <laughs> fair but at least it's getting updated here's my point things are yeah. getting updated there's more visibility being brought to the surface here about mental health and I sure. think that um, like in 2018, fun fact, the Vatican opened its doors to priests from all over the world to educate them on the exorcism, uh, on exorcism and the prayer of liberation and also give a little bit more exposure to uh, mental health and things that cause, quote unquote, demonic possession. Sure. Um, it was a course. It was like $370, which I thought was kind of cool. It I could, it would teach. Course. It was. Yeah. I mean, it sounds cool. <laughs> it would teach priests about history, theology and the physical practice of exorcism. According to the BBC, uh, and priests from all over the world would come and take this class. And apparently, in Mexico, there were reports on increases in demonic possession. Yeah, and so the church was needing to train more people on exorcisms, and so <laughs> they literally sent a bunch of people to this class to train them on exorcisms. But what's nice about it is that it's updated and it has this information about the difference between demonic possession versus physical or psychological illness. And sure, so like sure. it, it, you can see that there is a step being taken in the right direction there, which is the point. And I think that that's something that's really important to bring up because I mean, in this day and age, some people might think it's absurd that exorcisms still exist um, with oh, the they're, technology. They're quite popular. They are. <laughs> but I think it's weird to say they're quite popular. Weird, there's a weird spectrum of what people think are weird and not, though. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that's another thing to consider. Uh, it might seem ridiculous that they exist, but it, no matter how many exorcisms have been dramatized in movies. Hmm. The church literally has specific guidelines that everyone yeah. has to yeah. follow for how to perform an exorcism. It's literally outlined, fun fact, on catholic.org if you'd like yeah. to check it out. Yeah. Um, but our friend, uh, Caragiano, <laughs> did not follow those guidelines. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of that gray area, those lines get blurred in this particular case because, you know, schizophrenia is a real thing. Um, and it was literally diagnosed for this girl and it can oftentimes be previously in the past be attributed to devils or spirits. And like, there wasn't an explanation for it in the past Mm -hmm. and that's how they identified it. So being in the, you know, present day and age of, of medicine and being able to understand things more thoroughly is it's helpful. But again, it depends on where you are because in Romania, you might not have exposure to that kind of education. You might not have exposure to that kind of training. And actually as recently as January, 2020, seven people in Panama 
were beaten and murdered as part of a very non-approved exorcism Mm. performed by a sect dubbed as the New Light of God, according to a BBC report that I read. Yeah. And that's literally like a year ago, year and a half ago. Well, I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, but like, look at the treatment of, uh, in certain parts of our country, uh, of homosexuals and pray mm-hmm. the gay away. And yep. I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's not the same thing, but also it's rooted in a lot of the same, this belief that, that the devil is influencing you to make these, to, that it's a choice and you're being influenced by the devil and you're evil because X, Y, Z. Like, well, yeah, that's literally, you, you're bringing it back to Irina. She identified mm-hmm. as being interested in women. Like, well, there you go right there. <laughs> there it is. There, that, that's literally full circle to that situation. Yeah. And like Irina had exhibited a history of mental health problems even before she got to the mm-hmm. convent. Um, obviously stemming from that awful upbringing she had, sure. she watched her father commit suicide. Like yeah. that's, that's insanely traumatic. As a, no like what. a small toddler, like a small yeah. child, like not even, you, she couldn't even process it. Um, you know, struggling with her own sexual leanings. She was going through it. And so yeah. like if she had schizophrenia and also had all this traumatic stuff in her life, mm-hmm. I could completely see why someone that doesn't know about mental health or doesn't know about how to handle something would think that is demonic possession. If yeah. you're only if, of the, you know, religious mind. But, you know, what's interesting about this case, fun facts, uh, there's been a few inspired books, movies uh, about mm. this. I have led zero time. But I do want to watch, uh, there's a movie that was made in 2012 called Beyond the Hills. And I believe The Crucified was made in 2017. And both of them were inspired by this story. Beyond the Hills is a Romanian film, correct? Yes, ma'am. By Christian Mungu. Mungu? I think... I'm going to have to check my logs. I might have watched it. That's ringing a bell. It sounds interesting. I'd be into watching it. I just haven't had time to. But... Anyway, that's the story of the Tanaku exorcism Hmm. and our our poor friend Irina. Um, And, you know, I think it's it's a good thing to cover something like this every once in a while just to give it exposure and inform people about it and to say that even in this day and age, we're still seeing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pay attention to those mental health things, people. Take care of yourselves. Uh, and always phone a friend if you need to. But having said that, this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. Yes. What you watching? Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I have been kind of like catching up on some of my TV because we are, uh, as of this recording, I think we're actually exactly a month away from 100 Days of Horror. Holy crap. Are you serious? Uh, I, it's June 23rd or June 24th that it starts. Does it lead up to, to Halloween? 
The hundred days leading up to Halloween. Oh my god, that's almost that's a hundred days until my wedding. Yeah. Oh my god, that just freaked me out. Sorry. Um, but I I watch a hundred horror films I have never seen before in the hundred days leading up to Halloween because, and this is I think we're going into year eight for it. Um, but I it means that usually before I bank a lot of movies and I try to catch up on a lot of television because I won't get to to watch a lot of that. So I've been watching a bunch of TV. I've been watching a bunch of shows where I'm like. This isn't good, but I can't <laughs> stop watching it. I started watching a show called Another Life on Netflix, mostly because Katie Sackhoff is in it, and she was in, uh, and so Selma Blair, like it's got a good cast. Mm-hmm. She was in um, Battlestar Galactica, and I'm a, I was a big Battlestar Galactica fan. Nice. It's not good. It is not well written. It's very heavy handed, but it's this whole like this, the, this, you know, they go into space because this alien artifact lands on Earth. Um, I can't stop watching it, but it's kind of a shit show. Uh, it's like so a car, car crash. It, it is sort of a car crash of a television show. But again, I keep watching it knowing it's a car crash. Uh, Motherland Fort Salem season two premiered uh for us it was last night by the time this episode airs actually i think another episode will have aired but um and i i think this is a show more people should be watching it's fantastic i loved season one uh season two looks very promising and then i did watch the craft legacy oh i've seen that that's great i mean i was impressed no it it was fun it 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 didn't you know the original craft was such a teen movie it was such like I watched it as a teenager mm-hmm. and it was such a thing and this to me felt much tamer and I don't know if it's just because I'm older watching a movie that's geared toward teens or if it actually was but I will say I I liked that it was a, I liked the the representation um I liked that you had uh you had a, a trans character I liked that that mm-hmm. it was a little more diverse and I liked that at the end of the day, it was sort of more of a female empowerment message. Yeah. Where in the original craft, that kind of, the like, the girls against each other becomes a thing. And I, I sort of appreciated in this that um, you ended up with a little bit more, like, girl power solidarity. I love movies like that. Girl power solida- solidarity? Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. I prefer, honestly, I, I prefer that than to the cat fights because... Yeah, um, I agree. I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a stronger choice, but that's just me. But no, I, I think it was a good time. Like, it's its not showing you anything particularly new in terms of the story itself, but I, I appreciated, you could see kind of some of the thoughtfulness taken in creating a movie that, again, is geared towards teens. Yeah. It's totally a movie I would recommend to, like, some of my teen students who mm-hmm. are like, what's a, a horror film that we could watch that's not super violent and not super, you know, it's it's a very safe kind of one to watch. But it was it was entertaining. I enjoyed myself. And there's some nice odes to the original. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's it is, it is what we would call... Uh, either a reboot or an extension, a, a sequel that is acknowledging the original universe mm-hmm. um, and not trying to be, it is not a direct remake, no. even though it, it has themes from the original and there's some, there's, there's some nods. There are some nods. There In are fact, definitely a very direct nods. nod that is setting up a possible sequel if it made enough money, which I didn't actually look into the box. I don't think to, it did. <laughs> well, to be fair, it came out kind of COVID time. It so, did. I, I mean, but again, remembering horror films don't have to make much money to 
to have a reboot to justify a sequel. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. I mean, again, you have mostly the big actor in this is David Duchovny. Oh God, I love him so much. Yeah, but he is the big name actor in this film. He is, but he also plays such a dick. It was so oh, hard for me to watch it dick. because I love him. He's my Molder. He is. For those of you expecting Mulder in this film, He's you will not. be sorely disappointed. I, Unless I Mulder's taken a turn, Scully would not approve. No, <laughs> she would not. But I mean, like when your big name, and I, this is not in any way a slight on David Duchovny, but when your big name for something is David Duchovny, and otherwise you're hiring unknown for the most part. However, teen there is a fun surprise at the end. I don't want to ruin for anyone. Right, but even then, that cameo at most costs the film. $10. A couple grands. Like, <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it, it was already produced, I'm sure. I, I will look up the stuff now because I'm curious. It was produced, horror films are produced for very cheap, partially because of the use of teen actors. This was produced for very cheap comparatively. And, and I am sure you could make a sequel to this and maintain the very cheap budget. Anyway, Gabby, what you been watching? Well, uh, literally nothing because my life has been very busy. However, um, there's one show I've been watching. Uh, I know I said I was going to watch The Conjuring. I have had zero time. I yeah, will, you're fine. I will watch it for the next one. I'm sorry, listeners. You'll have there's, to wait to the next episode to hear me talk there about is, it. There is, having watched it in theaters, there is no rush for anyone to go watch it. Why All right. Now that? we know how Kim feels. Well, I'll tell you how I feel next episode. But I will tell you this. Uh, there's a show on Netflix called Feel Good, uh, and it is... I, it's a it's a tough watch sometimes, but it's a good show. It's it's kind of like one of those more dramas that are based in um, a situation that's tough to watch, but also just really poignant and really good. Um, and it, it follows, is it feel good. So it follows this character. Their name is May. They are non-binary, um, and May is a stand-up comedian who is a recovering drug addict who has a relationship with a woman who has never dated someone that is not a man before. And it follows their relationship, May's process of going to rehab, of dealing with some trauma in her life, their life, um, and her, they discovering that they are non-binary and being able to put like a label on that for themselves. Um, but it's a really great show and season two just came out and I just went through the whole thing like, within two days. Um, so I, I really liked it. I thought it was great, but it is, it's intense to watch at some points, but it's really wonderfully done. Um, and it takes place in London and mm -hmm. May is a Canadian and Lisa Kudrow plays her mom. Oh, I like Lisa Kudrow. And Lisa Kudrow's character is very funny. Uh, she has got that very dry, I don't trust you. You're going to kill somebody like kind of attitude. Um, nice. And so it's fun to see her play a role like that. So I watched that. And then I also went to our favorite bookstore, Elliot Bay, Love on Monday Bay. with my friend Amanda, who's probably going to listen to this podcast. So shout out to my friend Amanda. Um, and you know what happens when I go to Elliot Bay. I don't mean to, but I end up buying a lot of books that end it is up easy to do. I end up putting them on my shelf and say, I'm going to read that. And then I read <laughs> half of it. And then I pick up the other pretty book. And then I read half of that one. And I never finished a damn book. Um, it's easy to do. However, I bought three books. 
One of them, I'm not telling you what it is because I'm going to read it and we're going to do an episode on it for my next episode. So I don't want to spill the beans on that yet, but I'm really excited about it. Okay, that's one. You already know what it is. Let's not ruin it for you. You texted me a picture and I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I'm very excited about that one. Now the other two are really beautifully like made books. So they're pretty for the shelf, but also very interesting. One is a ghost stories book. Um, and it is a black hardcover book with like a metallic print on it with like, it's really, really neat, but it's a bunch of, it's a compilation of ghost stories. Um, and the other one is Shirley Jackson, the haunting of Hill house. And it is done it's a good book. through, it's a, I mean, it's a wonderful book, but it also, when you pair that book with Penguin Horror <laughs> and Guillermo del Toro to do the design for the book cover and for the actual book, Chef's Kiss, it's beautiful. I'm really excited <laughs> to have that in my life now. So um, I know that's not really Creepy Critics Corner, but like I had to share my books with you guys because I knew everyone on here would really appreciate well, them. Well, uh, Shirley Jackson fits in the Creepy Critics Corner. I will say I, I enjoy Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. Um it is not my favorite Shirley Jackson. I actually love uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. That's a great one. It's so good. And I love I love Maricat. I love her as the narrator. I love that she's a little odd. Mm-hmm. And that you're getting everything filtered through her. So she's not the most reliable of narrators. And uh, I thought the movie adaption of it was actually quite lovely. Mm-hmm. The movie was really good. Um, and... and honored the book quite well. Yep. Um, I, I, I enjoy Haunting of Hill House. I think I read it after I'd already seen there's been multiple movie all adaptions. All of the movies. <laughs> and and I, I read it after I had seen all of these movie adaptions. And so the story for me wasn't new. And the female character who's, I'm blanking on her name right now, but the lead female character who's very high strong, she's not my favorite, I will say. Um, uh, but I do enjoy, again, I enjoy Shirley Jackson, but yeah, Haunting of Hill House is good, but the movie Shirley, which I still haven't seen. That's on my list. It's um, really I might, good. I might hundred days of horror that I, we've hit that we point talk, where I think we talked about it on, on a cre- creepy critics corner at some point a long time ago. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I think it was our friend Bob who yeah, Bob talked about has it. also, has also mentioned it to yeah. me. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Anywho, <laughs> that's Creepy Critics Quarter for us this week. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little yeah. light. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Um, if you would like to find our show notes, they're at ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our references, show notes, episodes, all of our social medias are right there. All you have to do is click it. It's great. You can check us out on our Instagram. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Same name for Facebook. Ghoulish Podcast for Twitter. We also have our Patreon, uh, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Head on over there for fun bloopers, if you haven't already, uh, and some fun video audio uh, recordings that we've done in the past, as well as some additional episodes. But having said that, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Head on over to Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't have the ability to go on Patreon, we really appreciate any just kind of review uh, just give us the, one of those, all, all those stars are really nice. Give us that gold star that Kim wants so badly. She wants it. Give it. her the gold star. I love it. But thank you so much for listening. And stay, stay.